Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. And uh, really excited today in the spirit of our leader's village and needing a broader village uh, to be able to connect to uh, a longtime dear friend who has a pretty global village view, uh, the VP of International in the Global Leadership Network out of Chicago, Scott Cochran. Scott, welcome here. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Great to be with you and with everybody. Uh, it's going to be fun having this conversation uh, kind of on the record. We have so many off the record that I don't know if we can capture all this true. in half an hour. But know, uh, We'll try to make sure this is uh, suitable for Ari, but no, yeah, it's great, be... to, great to be with a friend here. Hey, uh, Orient are... Uh, people, both our Southridge members and other leaders who track with us. Uh, just a little bit about yourself and your family and your role so that we can we can know you quickly. Sure. Well, I've been uh, based in, in Chicago, uh, Chicago area for about 10 years now with the Global Leadership Network. We used to be called the Willow Creek Association, but I am, as my colleagues down here uh, proudly tell me, I'm a recovering Canadian, uh, strong roots in, in Canada from British Columbia. I grew up in Vancouver and then spent 25 glorious years in the Okanagan Valley in, in Kelowna. I've been married to Nora for, gosh, coming up to 38 years now. You know, Jeff, I don't know how much of this part of our story you know, but like I grew up in what's called the, the Plymouth Brethren tradition and uh, small chapel in the Vancouver area. That's where I met Nora. We were 10 years old when we met each other in this little chapel. And uh, 12 years later, we got married and... Uh, as I say, almost 38 years, three kids, all married, uh, five grandchildren. And uh, yeah, family life has just been a, a real, real blessing. We've had a ball. And just so our our uh, listeners can understand a bit of our history, you, you worked in a local church context in the Kelowna area for a long time yeah. at, at Trinity Baptist, and then moved into the, the, the parachurch world by getting involved in the Global Leadership Network in Canada. Right. And for a while... We worked together. Uh, I was on the board. Was I even chairing the board by then? Probably. Yeah, I think uh, you were. Yeah. I was on the board and you were our executive director. And so the two right. of us worked uh, real closely in that context before moving to Chicago. And then Robin Lois Warren were able to take over and, and move the ministry from Kelowna to the Ottawa area where it exists today. So Long story short, as you and I go way back, way back. and uh, give us uh, in this this role that you have in in Chicago land, um, this VP International. What does that mean? Well, the one of the reasons, uh, you know, Jeff, that that I accepted the invitation to come down here, as you mentioned, I'd been part of the Canadian ministry at that time. It was called uh, the Willow Creek Association Canada, doing that for about ten years, and. Around 2010, 2011, this ministry, which is international in scope, was really starting to um, kind of explode in growth uh, around the world. And what we're about at our core is uh, leadership development for church leaders and pastors, especially on the international scene. So we're based here in Chicago. We serve churches and church leaders across the United States and Canada. And then what I help to do is to take that and to work with leaders around the world, to take this sort of leadership uh, development content and help leaders in churches uh, around the world with that. So in 2012, we moved down here to Chicago. Essentially, the way I always put it, 
was to help carry the heavy end of the log because there was so much that was now happening around the world. And uh, I was at a season of life with, with my wife that I could now do a lot more travel. So I spend a good chunk of my year, maybe three or four months a year outside North America, uh, working with churches and church leaders uh, across Europe, Africa, Asia, uh, South America, all places uh, in between. It's been a real, real privilege to be able to do this. And uh, I'll just add as a footnote as well, it's actually, Jeff, it, it's kind of helpful doing this as as a Canadian. You know, the, the, the Canadian brand is very accepted uh, around the world. And that's not a shot at all about my colleagues here in the U.S., but that's been a little bit of a help. It's been a tremendous privilege to do this work around the world and uh, look forward to a bunch more years doing this, too. Okay, well, I want to dig in further uh, to all things about your world. But I guess first things first, kind of coming back to your your long history uh, in local church hmm. life. Uh, you know, you talk about meeting Nora at age 10 as a plenty right. brethren and then being an executive pastor at, at, at Trinity. Um, is there more that you want to fill in there when it comes to kind of your history in the trenches in local churches? Even now, uh, in the local church you're a part of, you and Nora uh, in Chicago at, at, at Willow Creek, um, just, just to get a sense of how much of a local church person you have been and still are today. I appreciate that, Jeff, even the way you phrase that, because uh, yeah, unabashedly, I am a local church guy. That's, I think God just hotwired that into me. I'm not saying it's, it's the right bent or, or not, but that's just who I am at my core. Again, I grew up in the in the Prim, Plymouth Brethren tradition, and and for you know for people who know that tradition, you probably wouldn't think of that as being like a robust, uh, powerful movement of these great dynamic churches. But I tell you, God used that experience to just mark me with a love for the local church and a desire to serve her. You, you know, one one uh, way that this happened, Jeff, was that you know when I was about eight years old, my father passed away. And we were part of a of a small uh, again the brethren assembly. My my mother was uh, thirty years old. She now had five kids under the age of ten, and in many ways, I was almost raised as much by my church as I was by by my mother. Uh, I mean, what a partnership it was! And I got to see and experience the beauty of the local church when the local church is working right, how they identify this problem. It, it was almost like Jeff, this, the, the local church refused to let our church or to let our family flounder. They were going to make sure that they carried us through this season and helped us grow. That really, really marked me. And I think that was in large part, uh, one of the reasons why I just became so devoted to this beautiful thing called the local church. We often say there's just nothing like the local church when it's working right. And it's not just about caring for widows and orphans, which was our experience. It was about what it does to impact communities. And I got to experience that when I got to Kelowna as well. And so I, I really just threw myself into the leadership of the local church. Um, uh, uh, someone you and I both know very well, Tim Schroeder, who, uh, uh, was my pastor and later my friend uh, and colleague. When I got to Trinity, he identified some leadership in me. And when he asked if I would help to provide some leadership in the church, I was all in because I thought, what a privilege to be able to give back to uh, to the body of Christ that had meant so much to me. And that's really marked me my, my entire life, both then and in the work I'm doing now. Hmm. You can't be a lifelong local church person without 
having your heart broken a few times and seeing, mm. you know, some, some, some local church tragedy, obviously in your history, uh, you've observed and experienced some of that. These days now you're a parachurch leader, you get to jet set around and kind of live above it. And yet, I mean, you can even feel it in in our conversation across the countries where we're living in real time right now, that your heart still beats so strongly for the local church. After all of those years and all those experiences, why would you say you're still a local church guy? You know, there's an expression we, we, we use in our ministry sometimes, and I've already referenced it, you know, that there's just nothing like the local church because the, the, the local church stewards the message of Jesus Christ. And it just matters so much. Here's how it's been playing out in my life more recently, Jeff. Um, again, I'm, I'm a part of uh, Willow Creek Community Church here in the Chicagoland area. So it's not my job. My job is with the summit but I'm a, a member of Willow Creek Community Church. And so for these last 10 years, I got to be on an incredible ride with one of the most influential churches in the world, never mind in, in North America. And for the last few years, it's been tough. You know, we had a, a leadership crisis about five years ago. And then like everybody else, we went through the pandemic. And, you know, Jeff, I, I discovered something coming out of the pandemic, especially. And with all the bruising that our congregation had experienced with the leadership crisis we'd gone through, a lot of people were really mad at our church. A lot of people in our church were mad and they were checking out. They're either leaving or uh, really the, the mood among many people in our church was pointing now to the existing leadership, whether it was the elders or the new pastors who came in, whatever it was. It was like, when are you going to do something about this? When are you going to fix this? We're mad. We want to see something happen. And this, Jeff, is coming back to your thing about uh, the, the love and the passion even today for the local church. You know, being raised in the Plymouth Brethren tradition, which is very much about uh, the priesthood of all believers. We used to say, if we're going to have church on Sunday, it's because one of us is going to preach and everybody else is going to set up the chairs. Well, what I began to do at, at Willow was to... Uh, gather up groups of people who are a little bit upset. And again, I'm not on staff, right? I'm just a guy who loves the church. And, and I want everybody in the church to experience the beauty of a healthy church. And, and my message really began, let's stop looking for the answers to our church from somebody else, from the elders or the, the pastors and, and so on. Let's continue to pray for them. But you know what? And I began to evoke my Plymouth Brethren roots. I said, I think, friends, it's time for us to set up the chairs, You know, if we want this to be a healthy, thriving church, let's be a healthy, thriving church. So whether it's been in my little uh, assembly in Vancouver growing up or in a so-called mega church like like Willow Creek, uh, the the local church just beats, resonates so deeply in my heart. uh, And it always has here and and around the world. Hmm. I, I say that, I mean both so that our members and leaders listening can be infected by that passion and even that that conviction, that that theological love, not just for Jesus, but for Jesus' bride, mm-hmm. uh, which is really compelling. But also just to kind of segue into how that bleeds into or out of uh, in, in your current role. You, mm-hmm. you lose this local church passion that then can express globally. And so, you know, you talked a little bit about your VP international role and, you know, really you're stewarding this resource called the leadership summit 
right? That the, the, the Global Leadership Network primarily stewards this event. Um, do, do you want to talk about how that kind of plays out in your role throughout the year? Why are you traveling so much? What are you actually doing? Sure. The, um, when it comes to the summit around the world, again, we're very focused on our mission. We want to equip churches. We want to equip church leaders and pastors because we believe that the more effective they can become in their leadership, the more effective their church is going to become. And I come right back to what I said before, because I believe to my core that the local church is the hope of the world. I want to devote everything I can and everything that God has given me to do to help her leaders lead well, because I believe that if we can equip those leaders, those churches are going to, to flourish. And so everywhere I go in the world, I'm seeking out, you know, churches and church leaders who share that passion. And I just seek to build into them through the summit. And we're seeing it happening, Jeff, that as leaders become more equipped, more envisioned, because as you know, many of these churches and, and leaders, they work in the most difficult of circumstances. And the more we can equip them and envision them and, and encourage them, the better they're going to do. And we just see these churches flourish. Hmm. So this is really the, the, where I want to get into the, the focus of this conversation today, because you have such a unique purview hmm. on the condition just of the church, period. Yeah. Uh, a lot of us are, I'll even speak personally, pretty, pretty limited, pretty regionalized hmm. in our understanding of the church and what it struggles with or you know what its strengths are and you know for most of us we we look at the church pretty primarily if not exclusively through western eyes hmm. um talk about with your global perspective like how would you three four months a year traveling how would you say the church in general is doing these days especially coming out of the pandemic sure you know what it, and, you're, and you're right jeff he, based in north america it can be difficult to, to see this global view. And I, I wish I could take everybody up to kind of 30,000 feet just to see what's happening around the world, because this is an awesome time for the local church around the world. Yes, we've got some struggles here. And of course, there's pockets of struggle everywhere. But, you know, you, you look at a place like China, for example, and, you know, politically, things have gotten tough again in China. But, you, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, the church in China uh, achieved a bit of a tipping point that it really came to the attention of the government because the government of China, of course, they track everything. And what they realized was that, you know, in the early days of Maoism and, and so on, where there was a real concerted effort to shut down the church and to shut down Christianity. Well, by 10 or 15 years ago, it was known that there were now more Christians in China than there were members of the Communist Party. That was an inflection point. That was a tipping point. And suddenly the government knew, well, we're not going to beat this thing into submission anymore. We're going to have to figure out how to manage it, uh, basically. The church in China with tr challenges. They don't want to, to sugarcoat this. There's real challenges there, but it's, it's flourishing as well. Across Africa, sub-Saharan Africa especially, um, it's inspiring. If I need my, my church tank filled, I love to spend time in sub-Saharan Africa, from Nigeria to Kenya to uh, you go down further south, Namibia and so on. Churches in these parts of the world are thriving. They still are what we many of us have a memory of from maybe a generation or two ago in North America. Churches in many parts of sub-Saharan Africa remain 
at the center of community life, at the center of society. And it's so inspiring to, to see that. It hasn't been, been marginalized there. Certainly parts of India, many parts of, of Southeast Asia, uh, the Philippines, Hong Kong, churches continue to thrive. And when I say thrive, it's they're, they're fulfilling their mission. They're leading people towards Jesus and they're making a concrete impact in their, in their communities. So you have many parts of the world, uh, the church continues just to, to flourish. Hmm. Now that last sentence of leading people to Jesus and making a concrete impact in their worlds hmm. may be the answer to my next question. But hmm. I, I would say, have you noticed, especially when you're able to take your your perspective out of exclusively Western eyes and see all these different, but you know, commonly thriving expressions of, of Christ's body and bride. Um, what's the common denominator to churches mm. that struggle versus the common denominator to churches that thrive all around the globe? You know, um, it's difficult. It's challenging to say to look for something that is as true among thriving churches in rural India as it is in downtown Kuala Lumpur, for example. You know, because the contexts are so different. I think the first place I go, Jeff, is in these thriving faith communities. What do I not see that I sometimes do see in in struggling uh, churches? One of the things that I think we'd resonate with this in the Western context these days, I see no politics in these churches. You know, they're focused, relentlessly focused on pursuing Jesus kind of thing. And I think, you know, and I'm not throwing uh, the North American church under the bus by any means. I'm an inherently positive, optimistic person. I've got great faith and hope in what God will do in the North American church. But you know, in, in our season, in our generation, our, our divisions, our obsession with politics and so on, we simply don't see that where the church is thriving uh, around the world. They're too busy focusing on Jesus to be sidetracked by those, those kind of sideshows. I see very little in what we would perhaps call in North America uh, of the celebrity pastor in these places as well. There'll be strong leaders. You know, there'll be people who cast compelling visions and so on. But, you know, churches can grow and even thrive with a celebrity pastor. But uh, around the world, what we see are strong, faith-filled leaders, but not necessarily the celebrity pastor. And that's, that's something that seems to mark all of them. And, and I guess the third thing, and this is more on the positive side of what I do see, uh, I see a gospel-centered commitment to care for those who need care in, in ways both both big and small. It's just, it's the hands and feet of Jesus. And I see it less as a, uh, as a strategy or as a ministry or as a department and more of just a natural outflow of pursuing Jesus. It just seems to, to happen in these places. You know, I was just, uh, I was recently in, in Northern Uganda, uh, Jeff, and this is an area that you may recall uh, 20 years ago was absolutely ravaged and, and decimated by the uh, Lord's uh, resistance army up there. You know, they're recruiting these child soldiers and everything like that. So uh, I end up there. This is in November. So this is just 20 years ago. All this was happening. So this is fresh. These are fresh wounds. And to see these communities now whole and thriving and moving forward. And this has happened essentially on the shoulders and in the care of the local churches of the area. Not exclusively, but very much, you, you, you get the aroma 
of the local church in these areas as well. So, yeah, those would be the just three things among many others. The the fact you don't see these divisions; they're just so focused on on Jesus. You you don't tend to see the the celebrity pastor syndrome, and, and you just see this natural outpouring of caring for those who need care. You know, as you talk about that, I'm thinking, especially for <clears throat> excuse me for other leaders listening, a, a lot of that even boils down to your underlying definition of what a church is. So what a church is, is a, a set of spiritual goods and services to provide a consumeristic society. It can lend mm-hmm. itself to a celebrity pastor or to succeeding through a celebrity pastor. It can lend itself to apathy to the community needs around you. It can lend itself mm-hmm. to politics and division. And But if you define fundamentally that a church is the incarnation of Jesus in your part of the world, it, it's not supposed to have a celebrity pastor. Hmm. It, it's too focused on becoming that to get mired down into politics and ultimately inherently just is the hands and feet of Christ, not yes. as a strategy, not a, it just is because that's what it's defined. That's what it understands itself to be. And so I, I wonder if there's something, if you mm-hmm. surveyed church leaders and just asked them, you know, what their definition even of a church is, if there'd be something common there, that maybe we in North America could 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 learn from or glean from. Hmm. I guess in 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 that spirit, the other thing I'm curious about, kind of globally, hmm. is how leadership and particularly how leadership development works. Obviously, this is your specialty. So, you know, where where do you learn about leadership development globally, and and more importantly, what do you learn? What what hmm. what's the great what's what's the greatest lesson? Uh, from a leadership development perspective, that Western leaders can learn from global leaders. Wow, that's a it's uh, a great question, Jeff. And you and you're right. To me, first of all, it speaks to just the privilege I've had to be able to observe how leadership development happens in all these contexts. Um, you know, the the one word, uh, or I guess the key concept that comes to mind is local context. And you know, I'll, I'll take a strategic side uh, note on this. One of the reasons that the Global Leadership Summit has uh, been blessed to expand so much, I mean, we're now in 110 countries, you know, uh, 60 languages and so on. It's because I think we've, God has helped us to crack the code on this, which is you can't simply take North American content. You can't just take U.S. content and drop it into Nairobi and say, here, learn. What it takes is local context. And so... um, we recognize that in North America, we're not experts on, on everything. There are some principles that can apply elsewhere, but uh, leadership development has to be what I call incarnational. It has to, to grow out of the local context as well. And that means different learning styles. In India, for example, uh, we find that the best leadership development happens, although we have large events there, it really happens best in almost a small group setting. Uh, we'll see examples of uh, just our content being dissected by groups of 10 or 12 people who will just sit around and, and discuss and debate and, and, and so on, a very impassioned kind of, uh, kind of way of doing, of doing that. Many parts of Africa, it seems to work best in a, large group, uh, in a large group kind of setting. It's whatever it takes to provide local context. And let me just give you two examples of this. So I, uh, we talked uh, uh, 
before the, the interview started about, uh, well, we had Jack Welch at the summit a, a few years ago. Well, we actually used that talk in India. And I remember being over there and I was in a, one of our leadership training events. Again, it was a smaller kind of deal. And the question you, you might think of is, how is Jack Welch, who is you know, the chairman of one of the biggest corporations in the world, General Electric, what could he possibly say that would make sense in rural India? But you, you know what we had was a, a facilitator from India who got up and he, first of all, prepared everybody by saying, now you're about to hear from an American business leader, but I want you to listen to what he's going to talk about because he has some principles that, that will relate to the rural challenges we have right here in our part of India. So I want you to listen to this. Watch the Jack Welch talk, and then they had a discussion. What did you learn from there that applies to us in our rural agricultural challenges we have here and so on? So I, I guess the, the short version of all of that is local context. We can't assume that our learning styles and even our learning content in North America can just be dropped into other places. The key is, is always local context. Hmm, love that. Um, let's shift gears and spend a bit of time on just your, your perspectives on the future. Um, I guess first things first, your GLN International World, can you comment on where that's headed for the future? Yeah, it's, we, we continue to, to grow and more and more countries, more and more churches, more and more leaders are, are being drawn into this leadership development uh, movement that we have the privilege and the responsibility to, to steward. I think we're moving into an era that has been accelerated coming out of the pandemic, which will be a lot of the growth we're already seeing is less from the organized structural events that we do and more, again, almost organic. You, you know, the, the movement is kind of bleeding outside of our events. So what we're really focusing on these days is what we call lowering the barriers of entry. You know, it used to be that if you're a, a church leader or a group of leaders in Jakarta, Indonesia, and you want to have the, the GLS, well, you had to jump through an awful lot of hoops to be able to, to do one of our events. A lot of it had to do with brand protection and so on. And yes, we will still do great events around the world, but our focus in the coming season is how do we make it as, as easy as possible for groups of leaders who share this passion to take our materials and train as many people as possible. So I think we're going to see leveraging technology a lot more easy ways for lots of people around the world to access this material and do it. And by the way, we're already seeing this. I'll just give you two quick examples. You know, prior to the pandemic, um, I'll use Russia as an example. If you were in Moscow or St. Petersburg, you could attend the GLS. Well, what the pandemic drove us into was a digital online expression. Well, now you can be anywhere in Russia and you can take part in the Global Leadership Summit. The same thing applies in a place like the, the Philippines, for example, where unless you're in Manila or one of the other major centers, you really couldn't get to the GLS. And, and the Philippines made up of you know thousands of islands. Well, now anywhere you can take part in this event. And so we want to add more fuel on that to make it as easy as possible for everybody to uh, participate and even run their own GLS experience. Hmm. Related to that, as things are becoming more organic kind of bleeding outside of the experiences like you say and leveraging technology anything else that you'd want to add just about how you're seeing kingdom leadership development moving mm -hmm. in the future those are all themes that i think we've experienced and and seen yeah. emerging in the future of leadership development but uh, anything else that you're noticing 
I think the, I'll, I'll uh, talk th- about this in a, in a kingdom perspective, but also anchoring in a local church expression as well. The churches and the kingdom initiatives that are flourishing that I've seen coming out of the pandemic, especially, are those who very quickly understood the new times that we're in. You remember, Jeff, the um, uh, when uh, in the Old Testament, the people of Issachar, they were the ones who understood the times and they knew what Israel yeah, what should, they do. should do. Yeah. Yeah, and we're seeing leaders flourishing now in kingdom context who understand the times and they know what they should do versus uh, church leaders and kingdom leaders who were kind of, to go to another part of the Old Testament, kind of trying to go back to Egypt again. You know, if only we could go back to before the pandemic. Let's try to get things established the way they used to be. I was down in, in Lima, Peru just um, last fall, and I was particularly interested, and I've been doing this around the world for the last couple of years, talking to pastors whose churches have not only survived coming out of the pandemic, but have thrived and have really gone to the next le- next level. So I uh, talked to this one pastor from a church in Lima whose uh, congregation was about 4,000 going into the pandemic and was about 6,000 coming out of it. And so I was naturally interested in how this happened. And what he said Jeff had nothing really to do with strategy. It was understanding the times and understanding what what they needed to do. And what they positioned it was this. They said, prior to the pandemic, the, the light of our ministry shone in the auditorium. Now we have to get that light to shine in every home of our congregation across Lima, in a sense. And so with that mindset, understanding what they should do, they just shifted. Now this was, as you would understand, this was not home groups or cell groups or something like that. It was a complete new philosophy of ministry that said, we can no longer count on being in one big building all the time. We're going to be in every corner of of Lima. That kind of of kingdom thinking, a new approach, is where we're seeing churches and ministries, and I trust even the Global Leadership Summit, thriving uh, as we go into the future. Hmm. Anything else that you want to comment on the future of the church then? you know, being more the people of Issachar, less longing for the days of Egypt, uh, where the church you sense can thrive or will thrive in the years to come? I just believe that what we're seeing around the world is that weekend services will always matter. They're just not going to matter as much as they always have in in the past. You know, uh, as a pastor yourself and my own days in pastoral ministry, uh, you know, in Back in the day, that was the ball game. That was the metric. You, you, you gather up with a group of pastors at a conference or something w- right away. Where do you, what are we talking about? So what's your weekend attendance like these days? Like that was our game. That will no longer be the primary driver of what it means to lead in a kingdom kind of way. Yes, I believe there will always be a place for the worshiping of, of the body, but that will not be our primary metric. It's going to be about engagement. It's going to be about impact. It's going to be about all sorts of other things as well. And along the way, we're going to worship together too. Now we're, I think, in in wet cement on this right now. Like this is the change that's happening in real time right now. But I think the church that's emerging is going to be stronger, healthier, and more vibrant than ever. It's just going to have a different way of measuring its own success. Hmm. That's awesome. Hey, I really appreciate you joining in today. I, I guess in the spirit of wrapping up with a free shot, um, is there anything else that you would want to share as kind of a final encouragement or challenge either to our members at Southridge, which with whom you're familiar, sure. or uh, the leaders who listen and track with us 
to, to help us locally in here, primarily in Canada, embrace a, a more global perspective in our lives, our faith, our local churches, and our, our leadership. You know, thanks, Jeff. Um, it, you, one of the words you used there was encouragement. And I want, to, I want to share a story with you that is one of my own anchor stories when I need to encourage myself. And I think as leaders, this is what we need to do sometimes, because let's face it, Ministry is hard in just about any context. Sometimes we're soaring, but sometimes we're just in the trenches and it's just very difficult. I was at the, uh, at the GLS uh, in Yangon, Myanmar, and I, we, this particular event was organized around tables. And I found myself at a table sitting next to uh, a woman. She was obviously not originally from Myanmar. She was a Caucasian woman, and uh, I, I would peg her in her mid-70s. And uh, we just struck up a casual conversation. And uh, one of the questions I asked her was, was this her first time at the summit? And she said, no, I come every year. And I said, well, why do you come every year? And she said, well, she started to tell me about her ministry. Her job was as she taught English to Buddhist monks. That was her job. And so she'd been hired uh, in the Buddhist community to teach English to, to the monks. Now, of course, Myanmar is a very, very Buddhist country kind of thing. So much so that she does not have the freedom to share the gospel openly. So what she does, she would tell me, is that she would weave uh, the gospel into her teaching of English. And she gave me an example from that, that very day. She said, this morning I had a class with them and the word I was teaching them was resources. So they were learning the word resources. And she asked them, she said, where do resources come from? And she said, well, resources come from God. That's how she would start to, to weave this in. So she said, the reason I come to the summit is every time I weave God into my work, I'm taking a risk, but I know this is what God has called me to do and I need courage. And at the GLS, I get the courage I need to do this for one more year. Now, whether you're a leader of a church, whether you're a member of the congregation at, at Southridge or anywhere else that we work right now, all of us need the courage to go forward because sometimes things are just, just tough. Now, my encouragement is that each of us find a place of courage replenishment that we need as well because we all need it, because the work that we're called to in the local church, it just matters now more than ever. Hmm. Scott, thanks so much for being here, for, uh, for giving us some formal on-the-record conversation. I know we're going to continue to enjoy some, some more afterwards and in the months to come, but uh, so appreciate you. You've been a long hauler hmm. in this, and I uh, value that very much. So blessings to you and Nora and your kids, and now your grandkids that are becoming your... Uh, next phase of life uh, joy and uh, yeah enjoy the 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 next you and I just had celebrated birthdays you turned 60 and I turned 50 so we're both entering new decades all the best in in, uh, in your new decade personally uh, thanks so much Jeff. best to you dear to Rebecca the family and everyone at Southridge and in the whole network and all of you uh, listening today uh, thanks for joining us we'll see you in about seven days time as we continue finding our way together take care everybody Thank you.